0: God bless. Let's pray. Father, may our souls find refuge in you. May we understand what it is to be content, whether we have a little or plenty. May we understand how not to want and to trust you in our life circumstances and what that looks like, Lord. May you strengthen us in the things that are weak. May you guide us in the areas where we are blind and help us in our weaknesses. We know that it is in those weaknesses that your strength is perfected. And we are grateful for a God who steeps down so low to be able to lift us up. Bless this time, we pray. And Father, we pray for the family members who have lost their sons in the terrible bombing in Iraq or Afghanistan. Lord, three of them are from our area. and it, It breaks our heart what's happening, God. And it breaks our heart that these people who have committed themselves to service of this country and to us have given the ultimate sacrifice of their lives. Lord, we pray for protection on those who are still there. We pray for resolution in this conflict. And again, our hearts are broken for those who have lost their children, have lost their husbands, their fathers. Lord, may our hearts break, even as theirs do. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, sobering news things that have taken place. Again, I think three of the 13 servicemen who lost their lives were from this area. Um, I think two from Rancho, or actually four, two from Rancho, one from Norco, one from Indio. And then there was another one up north, I think, in Roseville. Um, and it's heartbreaking. And so our hearts continue to go out to the family and these things that are happening. Um again among the other things that are happening reminder uh, we are open it is hot outside so i think everyone just about has come inside we've got a few people who are outside if you feel uncomfortable being inside by all means we have outside available we do uh, recommend that if you have not been fully vaccinated and you are indoors that you do wear a mask if you have been fully vaccinated and you come inside a mask is not required um mask isn't being required or asked of anyone we're asking you to be careful for yourself and trust that you will be as you know and have heard. most people now i think know people who have had serious complications because of covid or have even died Um, and this uh, new outbreak the delta variant is spreading pretty widely and so Do what you can to protect yourself. And I, again, recommend vaccination. I think that's the best thing we can do. And I know there are people who have a hard time with that. I understand that. I don't want to minimize your concerns or belittle them. Uh, But we want to do all we can to be careful and see that you're healthy and safe. So I share those things with you as well. I know last week I forgot to mention that, uh, you know, part of our worship is our giving of finances as well as time and so we are here because there are a number of people who are faithful and giving and so we want to remind you uh, that that is why we are here and i don't know when things are going to totally change and i don't know what the new normal is going to be like but we're going to continue pushing forward in a way that we believe represents The kingdom of God and gathering here together is one of those ways. And so, if you want to continue to support Genesis, you can go to our website, thegenesisstory.com. And we have listed there a bunch of ways that you can give. You can give through Zelle, Venmo. You can mail in. I know we still get checks mailed here. Uh, There's even a tab where you can just go and put your credit card information there online. Uh, That credit card information, they do take a percentage out. I forget how much it is like 4% or something like that goes towards the banks because, you know, they don't have enough money. Um, so anyway, these are areas where you can continue to support Genesis and what we're doing. And as you support us, we want to be a support to our community. And so on September 7th, we are going to be taking lunch and dinner to the nurses in the ER. Uh, Last time there was about 70, but there are more right now because of the COVID outbreak. I know that just recently they set up the tents outside again uh, to help handle the increase of people who they're getting so they can have people with COVID in a separate area. Um, And so we are going to be giving them lunch and dinner. We are partnering with Hitchburger Grill and... uh, if you would like to help be a part of that and give towards that directly, you can just mark on uh, your donation nurses and we'll see that that money goes there. We are gonna pull the money from our fund to give to that cause regardless. And we're also gonna find out the ICU nurses and see how many of them there are. I've got a connection with the ER nurses because my daughter works there. And so, and I've trained a bunch of their dogs too. So... Um, But we want to do this because, as you probably have seen and have heard, uh, it's the nurses who are dealing with a lot of the emotions that go on when they have to talk to the family and let the family know that their loved one is not going to make it or it doesn't look good. It, it, It is them who are left with the patients when the family can't be there because they are infected with COVID. And so a a nurse who is a stranger to them is the person who is bringing comfort to them. And that's a difficult thing to put someone in. And so there is a lot of PTSD that is taking place in uh, the nurses because of this kind of just bombardment of grief. Um that we wanna show that we care about that and do what we can to just at least let them know we know that something terrible is happening and they are there dealing with it. Uh, As I've mentioned before, they're having a hard time filling spots for nurses. They are offering them a whole lot more money. My wife is actually working for a company that tries to place nurses in positions. And again, they're offering them a lot of money just to get them to go and fill into these places. And so this is happening all over our country, but it's definitely happening here. And so we're going to take the dinner and lunch to the nurses at San Antonio. Also, because this is the world we're living in, and Haiti has had an earthquake and a hurricane, and there is a a lot that needs to be done there. We have partnered with For A Reason in the past, and For A Reason is doing tremendously great things with some of the needs that are there. And what's great about it, it is very um, grassroots kind of help. It's going to specific people who are doing specific work and not organizations that are just doing general work. And sometimes you wonder, Is that money actually getting there? So we are collecting funds to help with Haiti as well that we are going to give to For a Reason and allow them to distribute in a way that they see fit. We have already $2,000 that we are contributing towards Haiti but would like to do more. Uh, you guys have been incredibly generous in the past with Haiti. We've built latrines, we've built uh, buildings for cafeterias, uh, we've planted gardens and bought goats and are providing teachers with education, ability to communicate to their kids. So this is another thing we get to do. And, and that's it. This is something We get to do. We have the ability to do this. And so if you can just do a little, together a little amounts to more, and we already have, again, about $2,000 that we're gonna be contributing towards Haiti, and we hope to be able to contribute more as you guys give. So the nurses, feeding them on September 7th, Haiti. We're gonna help them with hurricane and earthquake relief. And other things. We have uh, philosophy and critical thinking happening Tuesday. Uh, Here in this building, uh, Jordan's going to be talking about belief. What are beliefs? He's not going to challenge you on what do you believe. It's just going to be a discussion about beliefs, and that's going to be taking place here Tuesday at 7 o'clock. And then on Friday at 8 o'clock, and I believe that's going to be at the Works Building, Brian is doing an art workshop. If you are an artist and you want to work on your art you want to do some creative writing you want to put something together and you want to meet with other artists they're meeting at the works building at eight o'clock and that's this friday and then also take two is happening here live wednesdays at seven we get together at 6 30 have some snacks and some refreshments and then we talk about what i talk about here i don't know if you guys heard last did you guys hear wednesdays with jillian It was really good. I encourage you guys to listen to it. She brought so much to uh, the table on what to talk about. You know, it was kind of a tough subject last week where we're talking about, you know... uh, Just lusting and the double standard at the time of Christ that was put on women and how Jesus is reversing that. And so I thought it important to have a woman be a part of that topic and not a couple of guys saying, "Yeah, it's really bad what's happening to women, right?" And so Jillian brought a whole level uh, to that conversation that I think was really good. So I encourage you guys to listen to it. And so that's what we do here Wednesday nights. And then we get your input. So if you have questions, you have input, like, what does that mean? Or or maybe you want to add to the conversation, or maybe you disagree with something. This is a place that's safe to do all those things. So that's all that's happening. And then today, we're just going to continue with fun topics. Uh, We're going to talk about divorce today. Why not? Um, You know, this is a sensitive subject, because there are friends, family, people in our community who have been divorced, who are getting divorced even right now. I know one of the people who's part of our community is going through some really difficult things with the divorce and their children. Some people are thinking about divorce. Some people are like wishing for divorce. I mean, we have the whole gamut, right? And it's a difficult thing. And so it's a topic where you can lean into it, but that you can die by a thousand cuts on this topic, right? There's so much nuance in each of these situations. And what I want to do is be careful not to make things so simplistic uh, that we try and deal with a complex subject by just giving out these short little, yeah, here's a verse in the Bible, here's a verse in the Bible, there, that's it, and not address all the things that are taking place. At the same time, I don't want to make light of this subject or, or make it as something that's not a big deal, because I think Jesus does bring a sense of urgency to this topic in what we're going to see today. Um, But what he's doing here is very similar to what we talked about last week, where there is a double standard, and, and this actually goes along with what we talked about last week where Jesus said, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say if any man who looks at a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery already in his heart towards her. And the whole idea there is adultery was a woman being with another man or betrothed to another man. It was a crime against that man, that husband or the one who was betrothed because it was violating his... Property. And again, we just got to let that sink in because that just is an ugly thing. But that's what they saw as adultery, where the man, the husband, could go out and be with a prostitute, could go out and be with another woman, and it was not considered, it was frowned on, but it wasn't looked down on as much as it was with the woman. And Jesus says, You're committing adultery against her bringing her to a level where they did not consider her someone who could have that committed against them. And so he is bringing the charge to them who were in power, who were abusing that power over those who had little power at that time. And he's doing the same thing here in chapter 5, verse 31 Jesus says, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now we have to look at this through ancient eyes. We're not gonna just take these words, transplant them in the 21st century and think we have all that we need to know. We have to deal with the context of the culture that's taking place. And it's important to see that there is a double standard for men and women regarding adultery. The violation was against the husband and not against the woman. And the same thing is happening here with divorce, where there was a violation to the women that was not being acknowledged. And he's continuing this same vein. He's going to redefine adultery that protects women just like he did via lust, and now he's doing it via divorce. When he says anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 21, but it's a little different. This is more likely a common idea that was taking place at the time where they were understanding, yeah, this is how it's done. There is a certificate of divorce that has to be given. This is what was talked about when Joseph was going to put Mary away because she was pregnant and he didn't know what had happened and so he was gonna put her away secretly. This is what he was doing, is writing a certificate of divorce that was gonna be putting her away. But Jesus pushes into it and he says, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is giving us insight into what would be understood at the time. They would have an idea of what he is saying. We have to look a little deeper to find out, and we get to because Jesus talks about this again later in Matthew in chapter 19. Now, Matthew's gospel is not a... A gospel that is linear, where he's just going here happened Tuesday, and this happened Wednesday, and this happened Thursday. He's giving ideas and segments that are trying to help people understand. And really, he's got five different segments. And the whole idea of the five is represented to the Pentateuch, the the Torah, and the five books of Moses. And there's a lot of correlation to those things. But in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, some Pharisees came to test. Him Jesus and they asked is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason get the nuance there any and every reason Haven't you read he Jesus replied that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are not longer two but one flesh therefore what God has joined together let no one separate. Why then, they said, did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And there at the end, we see really the same words that we saw in chapter 5. But there are so many interesting things happening here. Even though it's roughly the same thing, he's really dealing with something more that's happening. What we're doing is trying to understand Jesus here, not trying to. Counsel someone, right? This isn't Jesus giving marital counsel for someone who's struggling and saying, here's how it is. You can't get divorced unless it's this. That's not even the conversation. That's not what he's dealing with here. Remember, there were 613 laws in the Torah that they divided up. And there are two, basically, that deal with divorce and remarriage. Jesus isn't touching on all those things. He is dealing with something very unique. And one of those is in Exodus 21, verse 10, where it says, if he, if a man marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. And marital rights has to do with sexual intimacy. If he does not provide her with these things, she is to go free without any payment of money. And what that means is she does not owe anything. She is free. It is okay for her to be divorced because he is not providing for her. Now, again, there's no way to step into this without just getting like creeped out because this is terrible. We're living at a time where polygamy was common. It was common for many reasons, none of them good right? It was for warfare, disease, economic reasons, none that we can justify, none that we can say, yeah, so it was okay. No, this sucks. This stinks. This is terrible. But what is happening here is a large step forward because what was happening at that time is a man would have a wife, and then he'd find another one. He'd get another wife, and then he would neglect the first wife because he's got a new one, like... Like she's just an old garment that he's putting away, right? He, I bought a new car. I'm going to leave this one parked in the garage. And so now what, do, what is her recourse? Now she's being neglected. She's not being provided for. And so this law was to make sure that she had those things, that she wasn't deprived of food, clothing, marital rights. If she was, she had the right to leave, be divorced, and could not be required to stay. So we're just framing things here, okay? Now, I hope you've got questions, because I sure do. I look at these things, and I'm like, what the hell, right? I mean, I'm really thinking that. I'm trying to figure out what's going on here, and I I think you're supposed to do these things. And I, I think what Jesus is doing is pushing us towards these things. In Deuteronomy 24, there's another passage. It says, if a man marries a woman who is, becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her away from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from the house or if he dies, then the first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Yeah, that's just weird too. Now, a certificate of divorce, again, was a formal legal document that had to be observed by two witnesses. In the certificate was written that the woman was now free to be with another man, and it would protect her from the idea of committing adultery was a violation against their laws. The question at Jesus' time that was prominent was, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, Now, what does displeasing and indecent mean? Tim Mackey, who's like a a Hebrew scholar, says, the matter of indecency is a technical phrase that is only used here in all of ancient Hebrew. We have no other instance of this phrase ever being used. So there's no other place where we can connect to try and understand this. We have this sentence, and we got to figure it out. And that's what the rabbis would do. They would say, what does it mean to be displeasing? What does it mean to be indecent? And so when the rabbis came across something like this, they would debate it. And there were two prominent thoughts on this at the time of Jesus that were written. Some of them were written in the Mishnah, some common writings from them. And so one of them was Rabbi Shammai. And for him, indecent means something sexually indecent. Sexual infidelity. Rabbi Hillel didn't focus on the word indecent, but focused on the word displeasing. And Rabbi Hillel, it says it means anything that doesn't please the husband, which could be anything from burning the bread to having a bad hair day. Now, in a culture dominated by men, and women thought of by property, what do you think was the most popular of the two beliefs? Right? Now, guys, this is awful. This this is disgusting. This is degrading. But if you said Hillel, then ding, 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 you got the right answer because that was the prominent thought of the time it's believed that they are really asking jesus which of the two teachings do you prescribe to is it hillel or is it Shemai? which is what the pharisees are testing him with in matthew 15 right some wanted to test him They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? That's what Hillel said. And again, this is not a pastoral counsel. Jesus is responding and say, here's what we need to do. Here's what has to happen if you're having this agreement. He's answering them about this that is a part of their culture. And he does what he does so well. He answers their question with a question and throws a little sarcasm in to highlight their hypocrisy. right? He says, haven't you read? Now, that would have been a slap in the face. Of course we've read. Don't you know who we are? We've, of course, read these things. But he's like, haven't you read? Don't you get it? And then he goes back, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus says that God's idea for marriage isn't in Deuteronomy 24. It's in Genesis 1 and 2. And more than that, he is saying that Deuteronomy 24 is there because of the hardness of your heart, which should bring up a hundred questions. Wait a second. You mean there is writings in the scripture that are there because people are messed up and it's not really the best way to do things, but it's the way that things kind of have to be done at that time because of where they are. And if that's the case, is that still happening today? Is that why... Paul can say, I, not the Lord, recommend this. What do we do with that? This isn't black and white. This isn't cut clean, answer for every person in every circumstance. Here's a couple of verses, boom, go away, be happy, right? That's not what's happening here. And When the Pharisees respond, then why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? First of all, Moses didn't command it. He permitted it, but it wasn't a command. And when Jesus pushes in and says, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for his sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery, this is almost the word-for-word answer of Rabbi Shammai, his interpretation. And when Jesus is speaking about divorce in Matthew 5 and 19, he's talking about that debate. He's not commenting on Exodus at all. He's just talking about a debate that was happening. So one view is divorce only for sexual infidelity. The other for infidelity, discretion, abuse, or abandonment in Exodus And again, Jesus isn't giving counsel. He's confronting injustice. And what was the double standard of Deuteronomy 24? Interpreted at that time, it was a man could divorce his wife for any reason. The wife couldn't do the same. What if my husband's a lazy jerk? Can I divorce him? What if my husband's not providing for me? Can I divorce him? What if he's abusive? Can I not divorce him? And Jesus flips it on its head instead of allowing you to divorce and protect you from adultery. Divorce the way you are practicing it is not only committing adultery, but you are causing and responsible for your wife's adultery too. You think you're all right before God. I've done the law. I've committed no problem here because the law says I can divorce her for any and every reason. So I'm not doing anything wrong. Jesus says, no, you're the one committing adultery and you're also causing her to commit adultery because you are wrong. The bam that time he is confronting what is accepted and flipping it on its head and saying, this is wrong. And what you are trying to keep yourself from, you're actually doing. And you're causing it to happen to her. So in the same way that he put the responsibility of lust on those who were abusing their power over women, he's doing the same thing here with adultery. This doesn't Apply to every and any cause for all those women who were abandoned, who were neglected, who were abused, who were told they have to stay because it's God's will, and they're not under any other obligation but to obey. Jesus is saying no, nah, it ain't that now this isn't meant to be an exhaustive understanding of marriage and divorce. And there are guidelines, I think, that can give us guidance here, right? I mean, we can ask, what does infidelity consist of? What is that in our time? Is it only a physical affair? What about flirting? What about pornography? I have read about women who have been physically abused by their husbands, told by a pastor that they cannot leave or divorce their husband because it wasn't sexual infidelity. And the woman ends up in a hospital. Wouldn't that qualify as abuse? Couldn't that qualify in what was said in Exodus why do we take these few words of Jesus and try and make them a blanket that covers everything and not wrestle with all the other things that are implicated here? I had a friend who I worked with, and Kareem and I went out to dinner with he and his wife, and his wife was just humiliating ridiculing him. And because I worked with the guy, he was telling me a lot of the problems that he had, that his wife and he were not close. They were not intimate at all. His wife was always going out with her friends, spending all his money. He had to file bankruptcy and she didn't change. She just kept spending money they didn't have. But she wasn't unfaithful. Does he have no recourse? Is that, sorry, Bible doesn't say that. I had another friend who I actually sat in a counseling appointment. This was a rough one because I wasn't the person doing the counseling. I just had to sit there and listen. And her husband had such a gambling problem that it affected their life. Their kids were in private school. They had to pull them from private school because they couldn't stay there any longer. He gambled away her car so that she had no transportation. She ended up buying another car that he also gambled away And the pastor said, well, he's not being unfaithful to you, so you have to stay with him, and you can't kick him out of the house because that's not the proper recourse. He ended up losing the house to his gambling problem. So she couldn't stay in the house with him because he gambled it away, and she had to go and live with her parents, her and her kids. And I remember sitting there going, whoa, 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 whoa. Is there no requirement for him? Is there no accountability for him? Is she just at the mercy of his whim? She she has no recourse to this situation just because you've got one verse? What about her rights? What about not providing for her? What, What about those things that are affecting her and her children? Doesn't she have the responsibility to take care of them? I counseled a couple where the Husband made his wife cut her hair short because he didn't like other people looking at her and would take the keys of the car away like she was a teenager when she did something that he didn't like. Had another situation where the husband quoted scripture to me and said, I need to tell his wife to submit to him because that's what the Bible said while he was abusing alcohol, abusing drugs, and acting like a monster in his house. And I cussed him out, and it's the first and only time I've ever cussed someone out in counseling, and I'm proud I did it to this day. How dare you use the Bible to justify your acting like this? I know couples who have had affairs, got counseling, who have remarried. And are doing well. I know other couples who forgave their spouse's affairs and they keep doing it and have been divorced. How are we supposed to deal with all these situations? Right? I mean, I think we can say that God hates divorce and, and that separation is not a good thing and, and it hurts that it's not the optimum situation, but in light of all the things that happen, we can't just put a blanket statement and say that's always the case. I think we can also say that sometimes it's better to divorce than remain in the abusive, neglected, unfaithful relationship. But I think it's also easy to say that sometimes divorce just is the easy way out and people go there too quickly. Inreconcilable differences. My wife and I have been having irreconcilable differences since we've been married for 37 years and I don't expect them to stop. It is our commitment and seeing that Really, we believe the heart of God is for us to be together and work these things through that has enabled us to push into these things, and it's been hard. Yeah, we've had some years that were just rough. They were just barren. It was, it was hard times. And it was this idea that God wants us to be together and we need to fight to do this that kept us together. And if we didn't have that ideology, I don't know what would happen right? And what Jesus does do is he flips the double standard of power-driven political system of his day on its head, and he doesn't tell women to get divorced, but he does not tolerate men treating them like a piece of clothing that can be thrown away. And when they do that, he calls them on it and says, you are guilty. You see, this is why I love Jesus. One of the reasons Because he takes those who are being marginalized and he lifts them up and he equates them with the powerful and he calls the powerful on their hypocrisy. And this is the politics of Jesus. He does this. And that's why it's so different than our policies and politics, because it's always seeming to be those who are in power who oppress those who are not, who use the laws to, to manage things for their own benefit, who are able to work the system because they have helped build the system or her supplying the money for the system, who control the media and all the different things that are happening, right? We, we hear and we know about these things, and the politics of Jesus says, you know what? I don't care about your power. I care about these people, and we have to do what's right by them, and any time we try to, oh, I'm going to use the Bible and I got a verse for you. You can't do that. Oh, you can't do that. When people tell me, well, you know, the word of God Say, what word of God are you talking about? Is it the Deuteronomy that's giving concession or is it the Genesis at the beginning? Is it Paul when he says, I say to you, but not the Lord? What do you mean? Because I, I don't want to throw this at, I don't want to use God as the force that keeps people in a place that they shouldn't be in. I don't want to use the Bible to force submission to a tyrant. I won't. And Jesus doesn't. And so when we look at a subject like divorce, first off, let's realize that this is hard. If you're in this situation, my heart goes out to you because I know you didn't want to be there. And whatever things have happened that has caused this to happen in your life, how can we work for what is good for you, for this situation? And sometimes it's not an easy thing. Sometimes it's hard. I know so many people have been hurt in their marriages, been abused, been taken advantage of, been lied to, and I wish we could protect everyone from that, but we can't. And so we deal with the mess of where we're at and we try and get to the heart of Jesus involved with the decisions that we make so we don't take things lightly, but we do not continue the system of abuse and neglect. And it's not easy. And it's definitely not fun but I hope this challenges us the way we look at the Bible, the way we understand scripture, the way we need to step into these things, not just with 21st century eyes, not the ancient eyes that were dealing with certain things that maybe could shed a lot of light on how we need to approach these things and not be flippant with people's lives and throw a Bible verse at them as if it's gonna be the solve solve, to deal with all their problems. Sometimes you gotta get in there and debate it. You gotta argue, you gotta find out what can be done, what can't be done. Sometimes you can't do anything but cry with them and hurt with them because that's where they're at. And I'm thankful that Jesus does not ignore the injustice and that raises up women to a level where you cannot treat them like this If you do, you're in violation of the heart of God. Let's pray. God, forgive us for taking lightly the well-being of others. God, forgive us for taking lightly the importance of committed relationships. And God, help us as followers of Jesus to be examples of compassion, examples of justice, be laborers for what is good to seek to do all we can to restore and rebuild and see people grow together and, and healthy and good ways. But Lord, may we never become so rigid that we are blind to abuse, neglect, injustice, harm to the souls of people. God, I pray that the things that have been expressed today will challenge maybe what we've heard, maybe what we've believed, maybe how we've dealt with things. And may we too wrestle with these things together to try and find how we can live out your heart in our world, in our time. How can we better understand you when there's so little information And there's so much harm and difficulty. Lord, may this be encouraging that you want people to do well, to succeed, to be one. But you will not be blind to the hurt that takes place. And for those who have been in relationships and divorced, may you bring healing, may you bring peace, may you bring understanding, may you continue to move them in a way that is good and healthy and safe. Lord, I entrust all these things to you in Jesus' name. In your marriage or relationship, we have a therapist that helps us. I know many people who are here gone to him. I've gone to him, and he's available to you. If you let us know you need that, we will flip the bill so that you can get the help you need because we care and we want to see that. And he's a lot better than me. Okay, Um, I might end up cussing you out, who knows, right? But we want to see you do well. We want to see you healthy. And so if there is that need, please let us know so that we can help in that way. Because we do want to see things work out. And also, if, if you have questions, we can... Talk about it. I might not have answers. I might give a response, but we can at least discuss it and maybe collectively get a broader understanding and at least get closer through the dialogue. And so that's what we want. I think that's what this is about, right? This isn't about me telling you what God wants, this is about us striving to know what God wants in our hearts. And so may the heart of God be found in our lives and in our relationships that provide safety, that show concern and care and are committed to the growth of one another. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast.